0: Thank you, Elizabeth and Karen Sue. That was a great introduction for the message today. It's good to see everyone here, the dregs of summer. Are you enjoying the 90-degree weather? Are you enjoying the 90-degree weather? There does not seem to be a unanimous opinion in this group. How many of you prayed every day for the 10 people on your card? Uh, How many of you prayed five days for everybody on your card? Okay, we got a couple more. How many of you prayed one day for everybody on the card? Oh, amen. 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 I do want to make a commercial statement before I move on. Uh, If you're not familiar with this book, I would encourage you to make yourself familiar with it. It's called Operation World. Operation World. It's put out by IVP, InterVarsity Press. Uh, The last edition was published in 2010. It has every country in the world, and then it has the demographics and the graphic and the geography and the religious composition of the country. And then it talks about what's happened in missions. It talks about the history of missions. It talks about what mission boards are in that country. It talks about how many seminaries are in that country. It talks about what's going on. And then it gives prayer requests for that country. It is just an excellent an outstanding book, and I would encourage every single one of you to get a hold of one of these. You can buy them from Amazon on Kindle for $15, or you can buy the hardback from InterVarsity for $27. I bought this one from Goodwill. It was $3, but I'm not selling it. So you prayed. Some of you prayed this week. All of you, I'm sure, prayed some. Any results? Did anyone turn to Christ because of your prayers? No? Why not? I, I see a hand back there. Amen. So, my question today is Did you expect anything to happen? You know? Did you pray enough? Did you pray in faith? Maybe you didn't do it right. You know, Christ says you go into your closet and close the door. Did you go into your closet and close the door? Did you use the right words? Here's the problem in prayer. The problem is that we pray and the answer doesn't come. If the answer had come, if President Trump had come to Christ this week, or Narendra Modi had turned from Hinduism to Christ this week, we would say God heard our prayers. Did God hear our prayers? You know, when things go well and when the job comes through and when the money flow is normal and the person walks out of the hospital healed and whole, we rejoice in the fact that God heard our prayers. But what do we talk about when the job doesn't come through, when the person dies in the hospital and the tsunami leaves us bankrupt? We don't say much. Maybe if we admit that our prayers aren't answered very often, it might cause some people to question the value of prayer. Why bother? You know? Why is it that God doesn't seem to answer our requests very enthusiastically? My guess is that you have experienced things similar to mine where God has answered your request enthusiastically, and you've probably had an experience similar to mine. You know, you're looking for something, you can't find it, you look for it for 20 minutes, you're frustrated, you're bothered, you're bent out of shape, and then all of a sudden it strikes you, you know, maybe I should pray. So you stop and pray, you bow your head and and you pray, and ask God, for wisdom. You lift your head, and there it is. There's that little nut that you were looking for that you dropped in the middle of all the grass, and it's sitting right on top of that blade of grass. You ever had that? That's encouraging. But that doesn't happen very often. Why not? I want us to notice how Jesus talks about prayer in Luke 18. I'm in Luke 18, and this parable on prayer. Luke 18, 1 to 8. Let me read it. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, "'Give me justice.'" against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I want us to look at the problem of prayer in this passage from three different angles. Three different perspectives. Oh, I didn't give you the rest of it, did I? There it is. You can read it quickly. (laughs) Angle number one prayer involves delay. Verse four says, For a while he refused. So Jesus paints a picture of an awkward relationship it's a widow and a judge. The bottom of the social ladder and the top of the social ladder, or the bottom of the significance ladder and the top of the significance ladder. A widow in eastern lands would be near the bottom of the ladder. She would be neglected, perhaps despised, perhaps fairly easily attacked by anyone who wanted to take advantage of her. She had very little protection, no government agencies to appeal to, and often she was alone. In this situation, I'm guessing that she was hoping to appeal to the law court, but her adversary was able to stymie anything she could do legally. She's at her wits' end and in danger of losing everything. The only appeal she has is to the judge. But that doesn't seem like there's much hope there because of his character. He didn't fear God. And he didn't care a thing about humans. But she came to him anyway, asking for justice in the situation. Give me justice from my adversary. But Jesus said, for a while, he refused. That's an interesting statement. For a while, there was nothing. Nothing happened. No answer. No encouragement that there would be an answer. Do you see what Jesus is saying by this parable? He's saying the fact that my father doesn't answer enthusiastically is normal. The fact that my father may initially appear as a grouchy old judge who doesn't care about your request is normal. Don't let that affect your praying, he says. Make your request even though there's no response, even though it seems like you're praying to a brick wall. Do you see that? This isn't the first time Jesus has pictured the Father as unenthusiastic over our prayers. He does a similar thing in Luke 11. Luke 11, he pictures his father as in bed with his children, uninterested in answering the request of a neighbor at midnight who needs bread. So at least two times in the gospel of Luke, Jesus Christ presents his father as unenthusiastic about answering our requests. So the picture suggests failure. The widow represents you and me who are offering prayers day and night to someone who doesn't seem to care and doesn't respond. My question is, why do you think Jesus would dare picture his father this way, as a grouchy, proud authority who doesn't care? Don't you think that's kind of risky? Maybe even dangerous? could not people go off the deep end with that kind of thinking? Why would he even think about that kind of picture when he knows his father's loving, tender, compassionate heart, as we saw last week? Why even give the suggestion that his father doesn't care? I think He does this because I think that was the attitude of the disciples. I think that's the way they looked at it. I think they said, He's really busy with other things. He's a judge. He's working on big cases. Our requests aren't even on His radar. Ever been there? Have you ever thought that way? How many of you have thought that way sometime in the past? Sixteen of you, huh? I bet every one of you has thought that way. Actually, that's a standard way of thinking. This is the way Israel thought back in the Old Testament. Look at this verse. Here's Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Why do you, O Jacob, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Israel thought that God had abandoned her, and her right, her just claim, like the widow in our passage, was ignored. He kept dismissing her case, sending her away, and she was alone. In my experience, many people feel this way. Why pray? God is too busy. Who am I among seven billion other individuals that he should pay attention to my interests? And the question is, why should I not feel that way? He's busy. He's running the universe. Who am I? Well, one of the large answers to the question, who am I and why should I not feel that way? One of the large answers is the Lord's Prayer. In fact, the first six words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. Think of the word Father. How many fathers have you had? Most of you, my guess, had one. Only one man on the whole earth was your father, and that was a special man. Do you think your father would forget you? Not if you had a good one. Do you think he would abandon you? Not if you had a good one. So here's Israel again. This is Isaiah 49. Israel again that says, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And here's God's answer in verse 16. Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Something may go wrong and some woman may forget her nursing child. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Israel was the elect of God. They were his special people. They were chosen. That that doesn't mean they were chosen for salvation, to think that they were God's pets, but they were chosen for a special ministry as witnesses to the entire world. They were his special servants, envoys, set out on a mission. Don't you think he's going to take care of his servants? Absolutely. So here's the problem. You pray, there's a delay. Prayer involves delay. In that delay, Satan tempts us with all these kinds of things, all these statements that say, he's too busy. You're not that important. Your request doesn't even show up on his radar. You didn't pray right. Did you go into your closet and close the door? door? Did you pray with authority? See, all those things come in because of the delay. The picture, the feeling, what it looks like, what you think is happening as you pray is wrong. Yes, delay is normal when you pray. And delay is usually not what you think. So, the second aspect here is that delay requires faith. We're in verses four to eight again. For a while he refused. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? See, a delay makes us evaluate what we believe. Will He find faith on earth is the key question. The woman's persistence in her request was a picture of faith. It was not that she was praying, correctly, saying the exact words. It was not that she was praying with authority. It was not that she was praying with the right technique. It was that she kept praying. The simple question is, will we trust God enough to keep praying? Praying in faith means not quitting. It means continuing to believe that what God says about prayer is true. Anybody remember the old Calvin and Hobbes comic strip? You have to be older than 25, I think, because I think the last comic strip came out in 1995. Years ago, there was one that looked like it was created out of this passage. It just looked to me like it was Luke 18. This is the one that occurred on November 27, 1988. It was probably in your newspaper on that date. And uh, there's this little kid who's waiting with his sled for the first snowfall. He's waiting and he's waiting, but there's nothing but brown grass. So he says, if I was in charge, we'd never see grass between October and May. Then looking up to heaven, he said, On three, okay? One, two, three, snow. Then he shouts to the heaven, I said, Snow. Come on, snow. Then he says, Okay, then, don't snow. See what I care. I like this weather. Let's just have it forever. Then he gets on his knees and says, please, snow. Please, just a foot. Okay, eight inches. That's all. Come on. Six inches. How about just six? Then in the last panel, he looks to heaven and says, do you want me to become an atheist? You know, isn't that the point? Can I trust God even though he doesn't do what I ask for? Even though he doesn't do what I want? Even though the snow doesn't come until January? When you pray and there's nothing, you have to evaluate what you believe about the situation. Because you don't know anything about what is happening behind the curtain. All you can see is this side. You don't know if there's anything happening when you pray. The interesting thing in this parable is that Jesus lifts the curtain. And we can see that something is happening. Look at what her prayers are doing. The judge is talking to himself. He admits that he's a practicing atheist. He doesn't care about God. That's the first table of the law that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And he doesn't care about the second table, which instructs, love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't care about humans. None of that bothers him. But something did bother him. Her continual coming was beating him down. She didn't know this. But he persuaded himself that she would never quit. She was like a mosquito, and she would harass and beat him down. The word literally means strike under the eye. She would give him a black eye by her continual coming. That could refer to something psychological. You know, she would cause him nervous frustration and ultimately send him to the funny farm or it could be social. She would give him a black eye, you know, here's this widow always at his office door. She's going to ruin his reputation socially. You know, we use almost the identical idiom. We talk about giving somebody a black eye, destroying their reputation. That's, that's what he, the way he's using it here. But Jesus is saying, do you understand what's going on here? Even though the appearance looks like zero, that unjust judge is sweating bullets. He's getting nervous. Major things are happening that are completely out of sight of the woman. You ever thought about that as you pray? You ever thought about the fact that that there's another side to the curtain, and all I can see is this side. And something may be going on over there. Think about Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel was praying for three weeks. He mourned, he fasted, he didn't take a bath for three weeks at the end of three weeks, nothing happened for three weeks. At the end of three weeks, an angel appears and fills him in on the details. And the angel says to him, do you understand the fact that there has been a major intergalactic angelic battle going on the whole time? Here's Job. He doesn't know the fact that his troubles are connected with God and Satan talking up there about God's attitude toward Job. See, we can't see behind the curtain, and this side looks like nothing. So maybe the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip needs a postscript, you know, to little kids praying, And as he's praying, the angels are putting together all these snow machines from all over the world, and they're pulling in this heavy western wind from Japan, you know, and they're getting all ready. And then he quickly says, I'm going to become an atheist. Jesus is telling us that we cannot evaluate our prayers by what it looks like or what it feels like. I'm at the bottom of the ladder. I don't know how to pray. This is all new stuff to me. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a preacher. I'm not even the son or a daughter of a deacon. And God's at the top. He's very busy. He's got a world full of problems. I pray, but I don't hear any angel wings flapping. I don't hear any heavenly furniture moving. I don't even see slight changes. There must not be any hope of getting this request answered. Jesus says the opposite is true. The opposite is true. Her request had the unjust judge hopping. And Jesus declares that even if God were unfair like this judge, which he is definitely not, we still wouldn't have an excuse for an unanswered prayer because the judge answered the widow's request. The problem, we think, is the problem is not the problem. Will God answer is not the problem. Will you consider praying Continue praying is the problem. Will you believe his word even though the skies are brass and the response is zero? Do you see the issue? It's an issue of faith. Will I trust God? Ever been there? Third aspect, God responds to faith. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? What Jesus is doing is He's comparing earth with heaven. When you compare what it looks like when you pray and what's really going on, the contrast is enormous. A crooked judge and an insignificant widow contrasted with a loving loving God and his chosen children. And it may look like there's a long delay, and the one on the other end of the phone doesn't care. But the truth is, will not God give justice to his elect? Absolutely. Will he delay long over them? Never. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. This is a God who has a special relationship with these children. He's going to make sure that they get what they need speedily. Have you ever connected that word with your prayers? Speedily. That's better than Amazon Prime. Speedily. Speedily. Do you think in terms of God answering speedily? 30 years ago I had an experience that tattooed speedily on my brain. I was driving to pick up our kids at Riverdale Baptist Church. Anybody heard of Riverdale Baptist Church in Riverdale, Maryland? Let's hear it for Riverdale Baptist. Yes, amen and uh, we lived about 10 miles away in Lanham. I'm driving down the beltway, and there's a loop where you get on 202, and I'm on that loop, and the, and the car quits. Just dead. Nothing. And I, I weave it over to the side as it's slowing down, try to get as close, you know, as I can over to the side so some, something can pass. I stop the car. I bow my head, and I say, I want to thank you for this, as I'm instructed to do, and uh, I I need wisdom. What are you What are you going to do about this? You know, can you guide me? Give you what? How? Help. <laughs> I raise my head, and there's a van put backing up. He stopped up there. He's backing down, and he stops right in front of me. He gets out, comes over, and says, you "Need help? Yeah." What, what kind of help do you need? Well, I am picking up a bunch of kids down at Riverdale Baptist five miles down there. Jump in. I'll take you. Well, I need to take the kids to my house, which is 10 miles that way. That's okay. I'll take you. Well, I need to pick up a part that I think I need for this car to get the thing started. Come on. I'll take you. This guy drove me, picked up the kids, drove back, picked it up the park, drove back. I put it on, started the car, it drove, drove home. His name was Bob. (laughs) He's a fireman. He's going to work. Have never seen him since. Don't know who he was. Don't know anything about it. Do you know what I learned from that? That event was God saying to me, I will take care of you. I've got your back. 100%. Now, since then, the question is whether I will replay that video and have that same attitude when God says, wait a minute, or when God says no, or when some other kind of thing happens, will I have that same attitude realizing God is saying, I'm with you hundred percent? Is God my Father actually with me hundred percent? Is God your Father with you a hundred percent? Martha and I recently returned from 6,000 miles of driving. Every day we ask the question, why? (laughs) We did it to help a single mom move to a new apartment and fix a car that had been barely maintained for two years, and then to transport that mom from Denver to Phoenix to attend the graduation of her eldest son from high school. Why would we do that? She's our daughter, and I will do anything to help her. I'm her father. The question is, is it possible for me to transfer that same attitude and that same thinking and realize that God is my heavenly Father? And has that same attitude multiplied a thousand times. So that when I face a situation, I realize that God is saying, that's my son, and I'll do anything to help him. That's faith. God's delays and God's no's are what's best for us. God's delays and God's no's are what's best for us. Doing anything for me means what's best for me, means what's going to encourage and strengthen our relationship and my faith in Him. That is so important when the answer to my prayer is no. Can I trust that God's no is better than a yes. Walter Martin, the founder of Christian Research Institute, relates the story of the girl he wanted to marry in high school. He said he pounded on the gates of heaven until his hands were bloody stumps and God said no. Some 20 years later, he saw this girl again at a class reunion. He quickly took two aspirin, and thank God that he had not paid the slightest bit of attention to his impassioned prayers. Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said, if God had answered every prayer of mine, I would have married the wrong man seven times. (laughs) See, prayer, God responds to faith. Prayer requires faith. Think of Jesus Christ facing the cross. If it be possible, would you take this cup away from me? Answer, no. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No answer. No answer to his son with whom he had intimate fellowship for eternity. Was it possible that the cross was the place that broke that fellowship? And the father wouldn't respond? Perhaps that silence helps us answer our questions. The father's refusal to answer his son's request made it possible for us to be forgiven and to have new life. Christ died with at least one of his prayers unanswered. So faith is a relationship. It's not a business. It's not a service transaction. Faith is more like a marriage, two people interacting with each other, coming to know each other through life's experiences. Perhaps faith is more like a family. The child asks the father for the bicycle. The father responds with more in mind than simply a bicycle on the ground. He thinks about the fact that the child's only five, that the road in front of the house is the town speedway, that the child needs to learn the threat of the road first, wants the child to trust him and know that he loves her, even as he says, "Wait." Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Faith is a relationship that says, I trust what you say. And I trust it so much that I will live by what you say, no matter what you do or don't do. That's the faith part. That's the part that helps us make sense out of a father's no. That's the part that helps us see that sometimes God's no is better for us than his yes. You have to replay this video when hard times come in your life, when your prayers bounce off the ceilings, when everything you can see screams that you're all alone and nobody's answering your phone calls. We received a phone call at 6.30 in the morning, a Thursday morning to announce that they had discovered the body of our youngest son, 22 years old, in a coal car with a load of coal on top. We'd been praying for him for 11 days since he had disappeared. I was pastor. Our church was praying. Our church was searching for him. And this was the answer to our prayers. And this answer created an unbelievable number of questions and problems. We were in Uganda, Africa. There was only one flight out of Entebbe on Monday, one on Wednesday, one on Friday. And who was going to take care of the arrangements and a service? How soon could we get home? And our daughter, Becca, was with us, you know? And why? Why him? Why not me? Why take him? You know, all those questions, all that stuff. And how did God answer that situation? Well, first of all, what's the question? What's the question? The question is, will you believe God your Father? Will you trust Him? Will you keep praying even though He has answered your diligent, earnest request with a no? Or will you quit praying and say to God, well, you surely didn't answer our prayers for His safety because, and because of that, our Son is dead. And who knows whether you want to or can get us out of here and straighten out the mess that you put us in. This parable says the situation does not matter. How you feel about the situation does not matter. Trust God and continue praying. And how does God respond? to continued prayers. That was 14 years ago, that event. Fourteen years down the road, I can look at the unrolling of events, the unrolling of God's will now, and I can describe how God did that. Here's my description. It was deluxe all the way. It was unbelievable. It was precision. It was beautiful. It was incredible. You know, we had no, no real way of getting back. We were on the ground at Dulles Airport the next night before midnight. And all these details, the way God worked out all of these details was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. What we were watching was God answering our question that said, How can you take away an absolutely unbelievably wonderful son? And at the same time, how can you convince us that you know what you're doing and that you love us dearly? And his response was, watch me and keep praying. And perhaps one of the most brilliant heavenly moves was how God would get our daughter, Becca, back to the mission field you know, she came home with us. She was in mourning for more than a month. Jonathan was her absolutely best friend. We have a picture of them saying goodbye six months earlier when Becca left for the mission field at BWI airport. They're standing there. They're both crying. It was the picture. You look at the picture today, and and you wonder whether they knew they wouldn't see each other again. And she's in mourning for a month, you know, Why go back? Why do anything? Perhaps you're familiar with those feelings of hopelessness and depression. You know, Jonathan is her best friend. Jonathan died on January the 3rd. Her birthday was March the 3rd. The way God had arranged it was that He had somehow arranged that back in November her two sisters would buy tickets to go to Uganda to celebrate her birthday. So they're going to be there on March the 3rd. So along about the middle of February, Becca says, maybe I should go back. You know, who wants them to have all the fun alone? So she calls her mission board and says, I'm going back to going back to Uganda, can you find a ticket? Can you somehow get a ticket? They somehow get a ticket, and it happens to be the same plane that her sisters are flying in on, and they have a great time for two weeks, and she stays there and fulfills her commitment. And I watched this situation unroll, and my response to this situation, my response to God to this situation was, that was classy. That was amazingly classy. How in the world did you pull that off? And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? are you trusting Him? Are you praying about those issues? Or trying to do them yourself? You know, should the Son of Man come this afternoon, which He very well could do, will He find you believing Him, trusting Him in prayer, no matter what it looks like? So I have four suggestions at the end, Suggestion number one, whatever situation you're in, pray first. Number two, whatever happens when you pray, pray again. It doesn't matter what doesn't happen, pray again. Number three, realize that in all of this, God wants you to meet him. God your Savior, God who loves you 100% and has chosen you. So here's the goal. Paul said it back in First Timothy 2 last week. Make prayer number one in church life and in your life. Let's pray. Father, would you somehow rescue us from these thoughts that so often come from satan that interrupt and destroy our trust in what in how you have described the value of prayer you say you will answer you say prayer is valuable Would you deliver us from our lack of faith? Would you strengthen us that we might be able, as Paul has commanded, that we might be able to pray without ceasing? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a great week. The Lord bless you.